Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Citizen V and the Thunderbolts from the comic book series Thunderbolts. Joining us for the discussion is producer Andrew. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. We are discussing the first issue of Thunderbolts, which was written by Kurt Busiek and drawn by Mark Badgley and released in 1997. And I've got to say, Andrew, for me, going back and reading this, this is one of the most fun things we've done in. I, I like one of the most fun bits of pop culture I've been able to engage in in quite some time. It was like kind of a blast. Like it felt it brought the same kind of fun that Marvel movies bring. Mm-hmm. We're just like, hey, like this is fun superhero stuff. But it was like in a comic book and and like modern comic books don't read like Marvel movies. Older comic books read like Marvel movies. But even then, there I think there's levels of um like genre specific mm-hmm. superhero tone that this has that the Marvel movies don't. Yeah. There's, um, and like there's one line where they say like, so say the Thunderbolts as they're coming into battle. Um, yes. And I'm like, you wouldn't see that in, in writing since the nineties, like in comic book writing from the two thousands on, you would not see that kind of line delivery written. You would find it in the eighties and nineties all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you would not hear that line of dialogue said in a Marvel movie. It was kind of fun to see it on a page. And well, and like I love, the superhero genre in a, in a way like the movies are not the same superhero genre that I'm talking about mm-hmm. when I say the superhero genre. And, and actually this, I mean, this is a big tangent, but it kind of gets into like, um, Vox podcast, you know, our friends, Mav and Hannah and, um, and everyone, and we've guested on there a lot. They just did an episode recently talking about like superhero costumes and superhero secret identities and how both of those are functionally defunct at this point in, in like the popular media, in the TV shows and in the movies. And it made me like, they explained it really well and and it all made sense, but it made me really, really sad because I'm like, I love the costumes and the secret identities. It's a dumb part of the superhero genre. And it, for me, like it feels so good. And there's a moment in this where they say, well, obviously our identities are a secret. And everyone's just like, yeah, like you're superheroes. Of course, your identity is a secret. We're not going to hassle you about that. Like they're talking to the press and they're like, well, our identities are secret. And it's like, uh huh. Of course, go on. <laughs> the sky is blue. Continue. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I guess we're going to do things a little differently for this discussion. We are going to do our our summary first and then we'll get into some of the trivia because there's some fun parts of the summary that the trivia uh, kind of reveals. Um, so this is like, like I said, it's a 1997 comic comic book and it is coming on the heels of a big marvel line-wide event that was called onslaught um and this was a big event that you know encompassed the x-men and fantastic four and avengers and and spider-man like all, all the heroes were involved um and at the end of onslaught the avengers and the fantastic four died um this being comic books there's a lot of strange things that happen, but they get better in their back um, eventually. <laughs> but at this point in time, uh, the, the biggest like superheroes for the uh, like citizens of the Marvel universe have just died. Cause this is an era where the X-Men are very much treated as like this uh, half menace, potentially terrorist organization uh, rather than straight up superheroes. Spider-Man is still having his PR issues with J Jonah Jameson. Uh, like the Avengers and the fantastic four were the, um, you know, the, the accepted heroes of the Marvel universe. Uh, and yeah, everyone think, saw them die in this big sacrifice at the end of Onslaught. Yeah. In the, in the, in, in this issue, I think they refer to the Avengers as being like federal, like they are federal federally recognized mm-hmm. to some degree. Yes. And I, and they've had UN charter, like they, they are, um, you know, sanctioned. Whereas like Spider-Man is still like, he's on the fringe, uh, in, in everything mm-hmm. that he does. And, and the X-Men, I mean, this very is much way before on the edge of what's acceptable. Way before Spider-Man would have been part of the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and so this issue begins with this like newscast montage of the world reacting to the events of Onslaught. Um, and the newscaster recounts the threats that are still out there that would have previously been handled by the Fantastic Four, the Avengers. So like the subterranean lava men, Blastar, the living <laughs> bomb, the frightful four, the masters of evil, who's going to keep us safe from these threats. And then we're going to go see the Rat Pack, which is a group of thieves who scavenge through the wreckage of superhero battles. And I love that that exists as a premise. That is great. <laughs> it, it, like the way they explain it, I was like, okay, like this makes sense, but it's also like really dumb, but also really perfect. They're like, yeah, they're, they're mercenaries and looters for hire. It's like someone's hiring these people to loot superhero battles. Mm hmm. Yes, of course, that would exist in the Marvel Universe. Uh, and they're looting a building that was destroyed during Onslaught when suddenly they are confronted by a new group of costumed heroes, the Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts are led by Citizen V, and they consist of Meteorite, Mach 1, Songbird, Atlas, and Techno. After battle, most of the pack rats retreat and escape. The mayor's office is excited about new heroes who will help protect New York City. The Thunderbolts go to an abandoned warehouse that they are using as a base. We see Atlas get moody about how the battle went. Techno plans to upgrade their lifestyle with his tech powers. Songbird and Mach 1 flirt a bit, and Meteorite watches them all and analyzes them. Because they made no effort to hide where they went, the media show up at the warehouse and interview them. And uh, we get like a little bit of info about all of them between the battle and this like media moment. And uh, we, we find out that um, like Citizen V is their leader. Meteorite has like vague um, uh, power enhancements, right? So she can fly, she's strong and tough, and she can shoot energy beams. Mach 1 uh, is wearing uh, kind of like, think Iron Man armor, uh, you know, differently designed, but, yeah. but essentially Iron Man armor is what gives him his powers. Songbird can convert uh, sound into um, like hard energy that she can use to fly or to attack people. Uh, Atlas it can grow giant, uh, you know, think the giant man version of Ant-Man. And then Techno can actually like communicate with technology and control it uh, with his mind. Um, and during this media uh, event that they're they're having, which, you know, it's kind of this impromptu thing that just happens, they get word that the Rat Pack has been spotted, so they go to pursue them. Eventually, that pursuit takes them all the way to the Statue of Liberty, where the superpowered Wrecking Crew confronts the Thunderbolts. And the Wrecking Crew, uh, so, so the Rat Pack are all just, you know, normal humans. There's no superpowers there. The Wrecking Crew... Yeah, it's just par paramilitary. ...is a classic um, old-school Marvel group of four people who have um, godlike powers from Asgardians, but they're, they're villains. Uh, so humans who wield like some percentage of the power of thor essentially and they are demolition and construction themed yes <laughs> and this is like going back to the 60s uh the the, the wrecking crew uh that they first appeared at marvel comics and I... it seems like writers are very fond of bringing them in uh just to get them uh to lose <laughs> to, to, i to am heroes. just now thinking like i wonder because obviously the wrecking crew and this is actually now really shocking to me Obviously, the Wrecking Crew probably hasn't had any kind of long running series to themselves. Do you think they've ever had a mini series to themselves and tried to like turn hero? I'm going to guess and if not, maybe a one shot once, why not? you know, sometime so at some point, uh, j just as much to get uh, the copyright uh, for Wrecking Crew, which yeah. is something that uh, companies will do is like suddenly there's like a, a one shot featuring this character and it comes out like every five years uh, that there's a one shot featuring that character. And it's, to a, maintain it's, a, it's a rights refresher. <laughs> yes. Um, but how many issues do you think the Wrecking Crew has appeared in? Because oh, it has hundreds, hundreds for sure. It's got to be hundreds at least. And they're just showing up in all these things like they're not a feature. Mm. Nobody's writing stories about the Wrecking Crew at length. But I think like, there's something uh, there's, about like the there's old so school, much of silver age Marvel, you know, nature of the Wrecking Crew that is um, enticing mm -hmm. for writers to say, like, OK, I get to pick up these these toys and play with them in the Marvel sandbox for a little bit. Um, so this battle is considerably harder for the Thunderbolts, but eventually they do defeat the Wrecking Crew to the adoring cheers of everyone who is around them. Uh, back at the warehouse, we see Citizen V take off his mask and reveal a scarred face. Then he puts on the mask of Baron Zemo and reveals that the Thunderbolts are actually the masters of evil, planning to gain the trust of the public and the government before turning on them all as their evil scheme. The end of issue number one. <laughs> uh, and... The Thunderbolts, uh, you know, this reveal that they're really the masters of evil had not been teased. It had been maintained so tightly uh, by Marvel that no one knew that this was coming. They really thought this was just uh, Marvel's introducing a new superhero team to, you know, try and fill this void, see who sticks, which is, I mean, that's a constant thing that comic book 
publishers are doing. Um, you know, yes, Batman mm-hmm. and Wonder Woman and Superman and the X-Men Avengers, those are always being published. Uh, but they also are introducing new characters because you never know which one is going to to resonate and become you know, not just a long-term character in the comic books, but also uh, the comic book publishers are very much interested in, in you know, the inter- intellectual property rights, uh, you know, of, of being able to adapt, you know, so so characters like, um, you know, Venom or or Harley Quinn are not, you know, the classic from the 60s characters. They're much later creations that in, in their, you know, now 20 years of existence or 30 years of existence have become uh, very prominent uh, for, for those. So it's not rare at all for, for publishers to say, OK, here's here's the next big thing and like hype it like the next big thing. But you never know exactly if it's really going to be the next big thing. Yeah. And you'll get like cycles of them where like the Guardians of the Galaxy come in and out. And mm-hmm. you've there's been like four or five different iterations of the new Warriors, which was like a, a late 90s. Um, I think maybe an early 90s, early 90s, I think. Um um, you know, it attempted the same thing. So this would be in the vein of, you know, your new warriors or something where there's like, there's some name recognition, but it's not going to publish for 200 issues. And what's so interesting about Thunderbolts is, um, it has gone on for, you know, hundreds of issues and, you know, it, it occasionally it's been canceled, but then it gets revived uh, always with this mm-hmm. conceit of, uh, we're telling stories of villains who, uh, in this case, like our premise is these villains are tricking the world and Marvel had the Thunderbolts show up in like two issues, like an incredible Hulk issue and like a Marvel tales one shot before the big Thunderbolts. And it just felt like the normal push. There was no hint in those issues that this was anything but a new superhero team that Marvel wants to get their readers used to. Um, And they had promotional materials. Like I remember uh, an article in wizard magazine, which was a fan magazine for comic book readers, uh, you know, about the Thunderbolts ahead of time, uh, ahead of the first issue that, that just gave you like a rundown of the characters as, Citizen V and the other ones are um, uh, Techno is really a, a villain called the Fixer. Mach one is a villain called Beetle. Uh, Songbird is a villain called Screaming Mimi. Atlas is a villain called Goliath. And uh, Meteorite is a, a villain called Moonstone, who are all, again, like old school villains that have been around in the Marvel Universe for decades, have been part of multiple supervillain teams, none of whom had like headlined anything. Uh, and, and so we here they are with uh, Baron Zemo and the Master Masters of Evil. Um, but, you know, essentially trying to pull something over on the citizens of the Marvel Universe. But as readers up through the end of this first issue, uh, you know, all the promotional material, everything had had been, you know, pulled over on us in the, in the same way. And it's a, a fabulous trick for a first issue. Then the question becomes, is this something that can sustain a series? Right. <laughs> you know, is it is this just a great moment of pulling off? Uh, some excellent writing, filling this void in this moment of time in the Marvel publishing line when they've killed off the Avengers and Fantastic Four uh, and, and uh, getting the comic book press to work with you to promote this in a certain way and not have like the rumor websites that would come along later on that would all be, be, be all about spoilers. Like nothing about this was spoiled as far as I remember. Like I remember looking at the characters and saying, oh, I really like that character design and and having a conversation with another, you know, a friend who read comic books if they had any, you know, favorite of these new superheroes that Marvel was introducing before the first issue, uh, you know, came out. This was when I was still in high school and was reading marvel comics you know on that regular monthly uh monthly release uh schedule and the surprise like really got me and then what works so well about the series is that it 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 manages to carry on the development of these characters none of these characters really had had like interior lives (laughs) real motivations Mm -hmm. but what happens is like for these characters like the idea of being a hero like becomes really appealing like like as they're looking around as people are cheering for them like you can tell some of them are are like this this is nice <laughs> this is better than 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 being a, a low rent uh criminal uh in the marvel universe and baron zemo has his plans and he doesn't waver from it but some members of the team start to say I'm, I'm kind of preferring the hero life over the villain life and you start to see all sorts of character you know in, interpersonal dynamics develop on the team be it like flirtations of various characters with others and um but also like shifting motivations as to like why they're doing what it is that they're doing and that's what makes it work as a, a long-term concept Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and I think I don't know how many times they've like rebooted Thunderbolts as a as a team and as a title in the comic books, but there's definitely a clarity to just like the association with it, where you always know it's like okay, if they are publishing Thunderbolts, it is about villains who are being heroes. They're not always like hiding it. Sometimes it's just straight up. It's like yeah, like these are villains and they're being hired to be heroes, but you always know it's like, okay, 
villains being heroes and some of them are going to like it and some of them it's just the job and some of them are doing it for nefarious means but anytime they publish thunderbolts like you know you're dealing with that Mm -hmm. and that's a really cool just you've got a core concept no matter what as long as you're publishing thunderbolts you know that's what it's going to be whereas like okay avengers could be a lot of different things yeah yeah, and x-men can be a lot of different things Mm-hmm. But they they have but like you, they have labels that we know like X Men okay it's going to be a socially conscious superhero comic book like like mm-hmm. you go in knowing that there's going to be some metaphor about social issues uh, that's being used with mutants uh, Avengers straight up Marvel superheroes you're 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 uh, you know very often it's like your your biggest most prominent like classic Marvel superheroes are going to be involved uh, and, and it's going to be a straight up superhero story with Thunderbolts now we know it's something with villains uh, it's never gone back to like this exact version because once you do this once you can't say the thunderbolts are trying to trick the world and yeah you, you can't, can't trick you the can't readers. play the trick <laughs> you, you but, can't trick the readers but you can but say I, these villains are either um being allowed by the government to do a job kind of like dc Su- suicide squad and there's definitely versions of thunderbolts that are like that where it's like okay mm-hmm. we're, we need someone to go do this and and these villains have the power set to do it uh and we're going to entice them with whatever you know early release or parole or you know whatever it may be uh to get them to do it sometimes it's villains who are really trying to reform uh mm-hmm. and, and be guided along but but as far as like a first issue that really nails the concept and actually pulls off the trick that they were trying to pull off this is pretty perfect yeah and i'm trying to think like it's kind of in the way where a TV show could do a twist at the end of the first episode and be like, this show is not what you thought this show was, but I don't think they could get away with it the way that a comic book can. And mm-hmm. the way that this one did. Or, or at a certain point, like it's something like um, we've, we've talked about the TV show alias, which was, uh, you know, great. Uh, but at a certain point, like the, the twist kind of got so far, like the twist and the twist and the twist and, and you forget mm-hmm. who's who, uh, <laughs> and, you know, it very much is part of the spy world and the spy genre to do those sorts of things. But alias is an example of it, like just doing it so often. Like, okay. I can't remember what's what, who's <laughs> yeah. who's with who at a certain point. Um, <laughs> but I just remember that for that final page reveal of Baron Zemo and the masters of evil, it was just, uh, handled so well with the pacing of the issue, uh, with, with all the promotion that had been done to present the idea to readers that this was actually a new superhero team, uh, with, with all the cross pollination, uh, in a couple issues, um, prior, prior to Thunderbolts number one. And then to, to actually stick that landing, it's, it's very well done by Busiek and, and Mark Bagley. And I think it's also like, it's interesting because I, it, with, with a TV show, I don't know if you could have a twist like that where it's like, yeah, this is something totally different where it would still be within the scope of what your viewers, like the viewers who turned on that TV show thinking they were getting something. I don't know if you could have a twist where they would still be satisfied when you gave them something else. Whereas with this comic book, like, yeah, like the the reader who read this as issue one of New Heroes is probably still going to read it as issue two of these villains pretending to be heroes. And I'm just trying to picture like a TV show doing some sort of twist like that. I'm sure there must be like Alias is the one that comes closest where it's like you find out that she's she's been working mm-hmm. for what she thought were the good guys. Were yeah, the bad guys. That's, that's pretty close. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, super successful for its time. Uh, but again, like, you know, several twists later, it, it kind of maybe lost some of the luster to try and keep going back to that. Well, and uh, to its credit, uh, you know, Thunderbolts doesn't go back to that well in this first one. I haven't read the entire run like this first run goes for, I think, 75 issues and then it. Uh, takes a break and then comes back and it's been picked up, like I said, several times uh, since then with different variations on the premise of villains uh, doing something heroic. Um, but I, I do remember like the, the, the really interesting part of it is how the, the motivations for each of these characters starts to change as, you know, why are we doing this thing? Whereas it all begins with, you know, we're following Baron Zemo. He's the leader of the Masters of Evil. We're part of the Masters of Evil, uh, which speaking of like old school comic book stuff, that's great. Like a, a villainous group calling themselves the Masters of Evil is mm-hmm. is just deliciously absurd. Uh, and um, and to see it, uh, you know, how what was the scam can become the life right you know the, the mm-hmm. thing that they're, they're starting to enjoy i think it definitely has um you know some association with the spy genre which is maybe why alias is one of the first you know uh similar examples we can think of um in terms of trivia for this uh i, I wanted to note a, a few things um one is that kurt Busiek said that the idea for this actually been born years before he is someone who has like an encyclopedic knowledge of 
superhero universes. Um, and he, he's got his fingerprints on lots of moments of the Marvel universe. Like I understand it's like some of his, um, music is actually what leads to Jean Grey being resurrected as never having turned into the Dark Phoenix at a certain point because <laughs> he knew the minutia of, of story beats well enough that he could pitch it to the editors in a way that that was acceptable to them. Uh, but also like his he his work with um, Alex Ross on things like Marvels or uh, for DC Comics uh, Kingdom Come. Uh, that's uh, or no, wait, that's Mark Waid uh, does uh, Kingdom Come. Uh, but but he 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 knows these worlds so well. Um, and one thing that he said he used to do when he was driving um, in, between states in New England, uh, when he'd go to visit his parents, is he would try and make up comic book stories. And he made up one uh, where the Masters of Evil are over to are able to overthrow the Avengers by, um, com- by the Avengers recruiting new members across like years of story, <laughs> but each one is secretly a member of the masters of evil. And eventually the masters of evils outnumber the Avengers. And he's like, he's like, <laughs> it, it wouldn't act, uh, like, I could never actually do that. But then he, he still remembered that story that he kind of had made up on um, one of those drives. And when this time came of, uh, okay, Marvel's publishing onslaught. We're, we're going to be taking Avengers and Fantastic four off the table for time. Uh, for our listeners, the, the Avengers and Fantastic four at this point get, uh, a reborn in an imprint that's like their their first adventures in a new universe uh and it turns out that uh uh franklin richards who is the the super powerful son of uh reed and sue of the fantastic four had created a bubble dimension when they seemed to die and he put them into this bubble dimension where they were having these adventures eventually that he brought them back to to the home world um but they wanted this time where marvel wasn't going to have them in the in the main uh marvel comics universe and he's like this you know the, the, that seed of an idea of this Avenger story could actually kind of work right now, <laughs> you know, with, with the Masters of Evil uh, impersonating heroes and being embraced uh, and, and until, you know, they reveal themselves. Instead, uh, instead of trickling in slowly, he can say, like, okay, I can just jump it all at once mm-hmm. and get them, you know, in the, in the front as heroes. Yeah. And that's one thing I want to uh, talk with you about is in terms of introducing new heroes, are there any of this new version of Thunderbolts? Like before you find out that they are the masters of evil, where we have um, Meteorite and uh, Techno and Mach 1 and Songbird, Atlas and Citizen V. How do they stand out to you as just n- new comic book creations? Yeah, like, well, like Let's separate the twist for a moment. In terms of we've got to sell this to mm-hmm. comic book readers as this is a real new team of heroes. How does it work on that level for you? I think it sells really well, actually. Like, like I, I hadn't read this one before I knew about the Thunderbolts and everything. And I knew that they were going to be villains and I didn't have a lot of attachment to most of them. I, mm-hmm. I recognized a couple of them, but um, like just coming in, I was like, man, like this is so effective in a, in a way that it's harder. I, I mean, and, and I think we'll talk more about this later. Like modern comic books are very different from comic books. I'm going to say around pre two thousands, right? I'd say the the shift is somewhere in the early two thousands. And this stuff um, we've talked about like beta Ray bill in Thor comics. This has a lot more to do with those eighties comic books, like 14 years earlier than I think it does to stuff. That's like five years later. Yeah. Um, I, th- in, I think it's in style and storytelling and everything like that. And the way that it immediately like conveys team dynamic and the way the characters are speaking and the way they're interacting and who is covering for who during the fight and everything like I'm like, these are people immediately in a way. I'm like, I don't know if every modern comic book can get that much character in that short of a time in, in a fight sequence in a battle and everything. And like immediately, okay. Like citizen V is the first one to show up and you're like, okay, this guy is maybe a little too earnest <laughs> and like, all that like sort the of boy stuff. Scout like, alpha male is what you get at first. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like he's kind of, he's doing like a try hard captain America. Um, you know bit and like okay but like the guy might actually believe in himself even if he's seeming dorky yeah um you know and so it's like okay this is believable i i don't love it it's not like super genuine but he like he believes it enough that he's overdoing it or something you know there's something to it and the balance on that is is really good and then you have the rest of them i attach i feel like i attached really quickly to atlas as like an identifying character where it's like, okay, this guy seems like he's not the smartest, but he seems like he's trying to do what he's doing. 
you know, in these moments. And Techno's immediately a jerk. Yep. Like immediately <laughs> a jerk. You're like, okay, Techno is dropping the ball. Techno's the one to get off this team. Um, he's the one that, you know, is on the team from a writer standpoint. Like he's going to be the source of a lot of the friction on the team. Mm-hmm. Like he's the Raphael yeah. of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or, uh, or, or the Wolverine on the X-Men. You're like the one who is there and is competent, but also like doesn't get along with everyone. Yeah. And he isn't watching out for anyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, he is he's leaving everyone else out to dry. Yeah. Um, to, to do his thing. Um, and, it, and it like it almost causes someone else to get hurt. So you have that like immediately. And you're like, OK, like I get it. I hate techno. Right. I Like right away. I'm, like I've seen him in two panels and I know who this is and I don't like him. Um, and then you very, very quickly get. um is it songbird it's not mockingbird that's someone else song songbird yeah a different marvel hero um so songbird and mach one like immediately have a bond and flirtation and then you so quickly see i want to say moonstone but i know it's meteorite meteorite is her super moonstone was the super villain yeah and i think i think she's gone by moonstone more Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think where she, Songbird stayed Songbird. So in the future, uh, and again, I've lost some of the threads of these as Th- Thunderbolts has gone on and on. Uh, I believe uh, Mach One and Songbird they they stay good, right? Um, I know Songbird does. Like Songbird becomes an Avenger and like trains heroes and and like makes the proper face turn. Mm-hmm. And I believe um, I don't know about Mach One because there's also like four different Beatles, and I think there's a Mach Five. Yeah, well, like, I think yeah. like they, there's iterations <laughs> we, of Mach. When a superhero um, has one as part of their name, you know there's a Mach two, Mach three, Mach four yeah. coming. Uh, yeah, and so it was like I think I I think I read some Thunderbolts with a Mach five, and they're like, "Who are you?" Like, I don't even know who's in this suit at this point. Like, <laughs> like people on the team are like, "I don't know." I was on the team with the original Mach one. Are you him? Are you related to him? Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> um, and Atlas uh, is definitely drawn to uh the right side and i think meteorite for more complex reasons stays with the superheroes instead of just like oh it's kind of yeah. nice to be cheered for um yeah whereas citizen v and techno they're just they're, they're pure villains <laughs> yeah it's like okay these are bad guys and yeah. then and and like mach one kind of gives the vibe very quickly like if you look back on it after seeing the reveal you kind of do like a quick calculation and kind of estimate it's like okay which of these people are being paid to be here and which of them are like believers in mm-hmm. something if you know maybe it or or which ones are going to turn hero like you very quickly feel it's like okay i feel like sonberg and and, and atlas are going to try to be heroic and yep. i feel like techno really doesn't care and he's here for a paycheck he's I feel there like for Mach himself 100 whatever is the best for yeah. him in that moment he will do that thing yeah it's like okay he will sell you out mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure and mach one i'm like i think mach one's there probably mostly for a paycheck but like likes doing stuff but also will do a lot of different things for songbird to a degree yeah yeah and so you kind of like you quickly can estimate some of the future trends and everything um and 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 meteorite is kind of interesting because you see her observing other people and that's not like a characteristic that you would see a lot where that's actually i'm gonna say a, a pretty interesting way to use comic books in a way i don't think you would do that with a tv show Mm-hmm. is watching someone watch other people well, but you are also watching books... those people because it's doing it's doing like both equally whereas a tv show kind of has to pick one to emphasize well and in comic books you can have her like a scene playing out and then her commentary in thought balloons you know adds nuance and context yeah. and revelations about the characters it's a little harder to do that in TV or, or film or TV without a voiceover, which isn't super common, uh, you know, to see done, which in talking about these being a little more old school mm-hmm. or uh, of, of a different era, uh, it's around the 2000s that thought balloons kind of disappear from comics, which to me, I understand why uh, in, in some ways it was to mirror uh, film and television a little more and make comics feel a little more cinematic rather than their own separate thing. But one of the great strengths of comics is the thought balloon. And I think we really lost something uh, with that mm-hmm. kind of um a transitional way in the early 2000s away from the use of the thought balloon. And there's, there's also a loss of like external narration where like this. And, and when we were reading Thor, there was like, there's a narrator's box. Mm-hmm. There was a narrator who was writing prose, you know, to outline these things. And so it, um, I think I talked about this with beta Ray bill. It takes me longer to read old comic books than it does modern comic books because there's just, there's more text on the page. Oh, absolutely. Um, there's, um, uh, so we had Anna Peppard on the the podcast talking about um, 
Nightcrawler. And she is also involved with a uh, like a social media research project called the Claremont Run, which is all about analyzing um, Chris Claremont's run on on the X-Men comics. And at some point, I'm pretty sure it's from the Claremont run, but it may have been from a different site, but I, I'm going to give them credit. Uh, they had something that was looking at like the word count of uh, issues, you know, from that era compared to later era uh, comic books. And the word count is just so much more dense in the in the 80s and 90s um, mm-hmm. than, than later comics. And some of it is those thought balloons um, with the inter- in- interior monologues. Some of it is the narration boxes with... Um, commentary and description of what you're also seeing visually um so i understand why those things have been cut uh but it it is very much a different uh style that is present in these comics for this period yeah and i also i and i feel like i know in um in bendis's run on like ultimate spider-man he kind of split the difference and had spider-man narrating a lot and so there were word boxes and it's like okay this is his internal monologue Mm mm-hmm um, and I, so I think that was maybe like a transition uh, style th- that you would see a lot less of now. And um, uh, maybe uh, maybe still for Spider Man, but less for everyone else. And and Ben, this is one of those writers in the early two thousands who's responsible for this transition. Uh, I think a lot of the style, in terms of like the speech styling, it became much more. I mean, I don't know if naturalistic is the, is the way, but it, it definitely moved away from this bombast of this period. Um, where you, mm-hmm. Again, where you won't hear, see heroes say something like, you know, so say the Thunderbolts after. Some yeah, they, they're not announcing entrance. themselves. Um, and, and, and with this very heightened, uh, you know, um, syntax uh, present in, in mm-hmm. a lot of their speech. Uh, and it becomes much more reflective of. Or, or attempted uh, attempting to be reflective in a way that word balloons allow, um, which again, like if we were going to transcribe, you know, just what we've recorded so far in this podcast into word balloons, like <laughs> it would be <laughs> impossible to, to fit it onto any anything, some you know, resembling a, a, a consumable comic book page uh, or, you know, you, uh, comic book pages, you know, ac- across all of it, because uh, it's so limiting the space that's present inside of uh, w- word balloons. And I think I think there's a real craft in making it work. And we see different different periods in, in terms of how the craft is most likely to be deployed uh, with, with in-house publishing styles. And mm-hmm. like you said, th- this is still feeling like a lot of the publishing style of those eighties and early nineties stuff, even though this is coming out in 97 and just a few years later, there's gonna be a very different style that this feels pretty far removed from. When was, when was Jim shooters tenure? Oh, because, because this is still subscribed to the shooter rules, I would say. Yeah, Jim Shooter had very specific rules about what needed to be in every issue of a comic. Like um, like everyone's name is said clearly multiple times. Like you will learn who these characters are by the end of this issue, even from their first introductions. Like, hey, so and so make sure you use your sonic weapons <laughs> to do this. Right. Like, you know, that kind of conversation is like that is not natural, but it's very Jim Shooter and it is really helpful. <laughs> It is. And, and um, you know, in, in speaking of like different different styles, um, it's a little bit after this, I think, you know, only a couple years later that they're going to introduce things where the inside of the front cover is going to have a character guide where it's going to tell you mm-hmm. who every character is, what their With a small superhero pick, name, yeah. what their, their superpower is. No, I think it's gone. <laughs> but it was really useful uh, when they when they had that. OK, so I just looked it up. Jim Shooter was editor in chief from uh, 78 through uh, 87. So this is, you know, a good decade on, but certainly a lot, a lot of that influence is like still his, being felt. It, yeah, because I mean, he, like as much as people mock his rules, like they're good rules, right? Every comic book is someone's first comic book is a good rule to have when you're writing something like comic books. And I think is a huge benefit to comic books in general. I think that's a good uh, like a, a beneficial pattern. And, and you know. Under his tenure, it was, okay, have people announce what they're doing and have people state each other's names. And then they kind of, you know, they created that that front cover recap to mm-hmm. compensate for, okay, but like, we can just do that externally. You know, we could just tell them instead of having to make it a little stilted. And as someone who's read, like I've read omnibus collections of you know 30 40 issues of x-men that you know just reading them back to back to back to back it gets tiresome to see them announce every single time (laughs) you know the the character like it really does start to feel redundant but you you gotta remember these these were even for hardcore fans 
there were only 12 of these coming out a year at the time. Like no one was sitting down <laughs> reading this mm-hmm. massive collection. That that wasn't a thing that existed when, when Shooter was uh, instituting these rules. This was a monthly and they, and they probably probably weren't rereading them back to back. Yeah, I, I'm sure some did, but but it wouldn't have been the most common way to 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 consume them at all. Uh, so, so even if you were the regular reader, it, it had been, you know, 30 days since you last read the previous issue. So having that kind of recap, um, you know, maybe not for the power, the characters so much, but for, for what's going on, probably pretty useful, uh, even even for your your people who are going to the comic shop every Wednesday to pick pick things up. Yeah, um, I like that's like probably his most basic rule. And he's got other rules too that that have carried into you know at least into the 90s and and everything but like this feels it 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 does feel really foreign you know for when i've gotten so used to reading you know i'm reading current comics and i'm like man man this is different i know it's the same medium but (laughs) man this is different and it like i don't know it it it's jarring but like it's also comforting and i'm like what is it similar to watching star trek the original series versus Star Trek Picard, where you're like, man, these are different things. But like, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, it, like what level of difference is it, it is like, OK, movies are still movies, even when they're made, you know, in the 30s or in the 50s or in the 70s or or in the 2000s. But there's like definitely differences in what's going on. And it's like, oh, OK, movies are made differently now. And I like I don't know what level of difference it is, but it, like that feels like a pretty stark difference from like the 80s and 90s into the the 2000s and the modern stuff um, mm-hmm. and having those those changes, even like as much as like it works to do the the opening page, but it just it makes the comic book a different experience. Yeah, and I get the added layer that like this is like the adolescent me reading superhero comics like this is what it felt like. Uh, this so I get this different level of nostalgia. Whereas mm-hmm. you're you're just younger enough than me that you you were reading the I did not read you know, stuff Spider-Man. in the nineties very much. Yeah, you're reading the Bendis stuff in the in the early two thousands. That, that's that new style. So for me, going back and read to, to read this for the podcast it was like something about it just was layered in with um you know the, all that nostalgia and mm-hmm. um a sense of like this is what I remember comic books being, and obviously everything's evolved. Everything's different. I'm different as a reader. The comics creators are different. The medium is different. They're serving different needs uh, in 2021 versus 1997. Uh, But there was also, you know, a a little part of me that very much was like, this feels right for comic books. (laughs) This is what they, this is what they're meant to be. And it does. Even for, even for me, I'm like reading it. I'm like, man, this feels like good comic books. This is (laughs) like, this is, this is good stuff. And like the nineties are kind of largely maligned Mm -hmm. in comic books. They're like, oh, well the nineties kind of like, just kind of ruined the industry. Well, yeah, both in terms of industry practices, which led to the speculator boom that mm-hmm. almost killed the industry <laughs> in the yeah. nineties. The, the and then uh, the storytelling kind of gets like, Oh, it's all just grim, gritty crosshatch stuff. Uh, but th- there's definitely some good stuff uh, that's yeah. in there. And this is one of them. Yeah. I was like reading this. I'm like, this feels pretty great. Like this feels like good stuff. Like I do want to read more of it. And I mean, uh, uh, the Bagley art is it's never a mistake to read Bagley. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about the Bendis writing style and ultimate Spider-Man in particular, which is uh early 2000, like 2001. Is that when that mm-hmm. starts? I, th- I think so. It might be like, it could have been 99. Um, but that that's like credited with rejuvenating the comic book publishing lines. And, and again, like it's, it's one of those watershed, like, okay, you can point to that and say, there's a line of demarcation in terms of style, but uh, you know, a before and after moment that has happened mm-hmm. here. Um, and Mark Bagley is the artist on ultimate Spider-Man with, with Bendis. So um, mm-hmm. while, while the style the is very different, <laughs> in terms of the tone of how the story is being told, like the art the, this is the art that that's still there, you know, just a few years later. Yeah. And I mean, Bagley has done a lot of like pretty critical artwork. He is, he's one of the most important artists I'd say. I mean, like he did, you know, this, so Thunderbolts early run, he did ultimate Spider-Man. He did the first bit of um, new warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, he's yeah, got some, in, like, in the early core 90s, stuff. that was where he, he kind of cut his, you know, got, got his hours in for Marvel, right? With mm-hmm. new warriors. Yeah, I think so. And so he's done some, like some pretty critical stuff that like people are going to go back to a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like reading this and being like, man, Bagley's pretty good at this. And, and he's got like a whole team. It's not just one character. It's not like ultimate Spider-Man where you're typically doing like one character is like, there's, he's got to draw a lot of stuff on these pages. And I think one thing that's interesting in in um, 
in terms of the art is that um, he's really embracing, you know, the superhero splash pages and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But he does also have some really good like facial reactions because especially with meteorite watching people, it's, it's all about what her insights are and some of that's coming through the text, but a lot of it is also coming through the art. And I think she does a really good or, or Bagley does a really good job with that. Yeah. He, he draws a good thinking face. Yeah. And um, I mean, you've got your moody atlet, like, like the, the, the brawny guy who's moody. That's a, that's a great, you know, mm-hmm. piece on the team. We already mentioned how techno is like your, your point of friction. Uh, you've got your, your romance uh, bubbling. So, so like, there's a lot of classic superhero tropes uh, that are here. Um, and uh, you know, Bagley is very, very good <laughs> at embracing and those superhero tropes. I'm actually going to throw in for citizen V the mask is largely blank, but it's fabricy enough where you're supposed to be able to see the indications of his eyes and his mouth. And like, if his mouth is open, it looks different than if his mouth is closed mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. And like, that's gotta be pretty hard. Cause he's just got to kind of indicate a face without, without drawing it. Yeah. With some shading, uh, basically a l- mm-hmm. little, little bit of shading here to give facial reactions. I mean, it, there's definitely some cheating in a way that like fabric or a real mask wouldn't work in the same way that artists like mm-hmm. cheat with Spider-Man's mask all the way, all, all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, but the Spider-Man but this mask has, is, is uh, unrealistically expressive. <laughs> but this one has like more facial detail than Spider-Man's mask, right? Spider-Man, they don't usually draw so you can see if his mouth is open or closed. Mm. And then this one's like, oh, OK, this is, you know, his mouth is open in this one and his mouth is closed in that one. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, like I, I just I really did want to point out, it's like, this is good artwork, like classic superhero. I mean, 80s and 90s, you know, kind of artwork. It doesn't look like the modern stuff. It doesn't look like the older stuff. It It is of its time, but I'm like, it really does work. And I think it's, you know, one of the highlights of its time. Yeah. Um. And there's a subplot that I don't re- I, I didn't include where we're, we're seeing um a, a girl uh like who, who's been captured and, we, and she doesn't know why. And we don't know why as readers. And I remember this is a character that. Um, is going to become a new young superhero that becomes a member of the Thunderbolts. And I just remember loving the inversion of the, uh, you know, the new character that gives you eyes into a world, right? You know, where where as a reader, you're going to follow this new character in. And in this instance, the readers know more than the new character. <laughs> like, she, mm-hmm. and she's uh, like in the role of like a Kitty Pride or like, like somebody of these young superheroes that go join a team. And And so does she, she comes into it not knowing that they're villains. Right. You're, you're going to turn that all the way around uh, because this whole comic is about twisting some of those conventions and expectations. Uh, and and it's, it doesn't pay off in this first issue. It's a subplot that gets carried for a little while. And this is something we were talking about a little bit before. Um, modern comics talk, talking about the, some of the differences. They're all about writing for the trade. And so very rarely do you get subplots that carry across six issues. because Six issues is your your mm-hmm. um, standard trade size. Um, so yeah, you, or you, you don't get, get those, issues a year. those teaser plots. Yeah. Uh, well, traditionally, it would have been 12 issues a year. A lot of comics double ship now, so it's 24 issues in a year. Um, but uh, and, and then two trades or four trades uh, in in a year. Um, but this is very much of that that period where, OK, we're going to take like three pages out of 30 pages of comic and give you a subplot. And uh, we're going to pay off the main action of Thunderbolts against the Rat Pack, we're going to do a second battle because this was a double-sized issue, Thunderbolts against the Wrecking Crew, uh, and then we're going to give you the big reveal, but there's this subplot that hasn't paid off at all. And, you know, you come back next issue of that subplot, and eventually that subplot becomes the A-plot, and a new subplot gets introduced that, you know, will mm-hmm. be running in the background for just a few panels or a few pages in an issue. It, um, it, <laughs> I don't know why this is the example that came to mind, but um, in the second season of Stranger Things, Mm-hmm. The opening of the season features something that doesn't come back until like episode eight. And it's kind of annoying because they don't like draw back into it. And if they had if they had spent two minutes of each episode, like just don't worry, we haven't you know, forgotten. touching on that thing. <laughs> yeah, then it might have been different because that's what it ha- that's what it is in these comics is like, OK, at the beginning of this issue, we have a little bit about this character and at the very end of this issue and, and it, like the narration is saying, hey, like. Don't forget about her. She's not part of the story yet, but don't forget about her. Like it's, <laughs> it's really just saying that it's like, she will soon be part of this story. Um, and but, she's but, become a new superhero called Jolt, who is like really a hero like, like, and thinks mm-hmm. she is joining a team of heroes. Yeah. Um, and, and so like you get those teasers in there and it's like, okay, I, I know this is coming. It seems detached, but I know it's coming because it's like, it's basically completely detached, but then it, it does come together. And that's something that, 
that the comic books did really, really well. I mean, we mm-hmm. talked about it with Beta Ray Bill, where it's like building up it, it like it had like the A plot and then also like a B and a C plot that it was building. It's like I'm I'm also like teasing the next two <laughs> yeah. major stories. And um one thing with uh with this premise where you might say, like, why would the Masters of Evil invite an actual hero into their midst if they're trying to present themselves as a Thunderbolt. And I just loved it because it's like, it's good PR. We need the PR. Like all, our whole scheme is about people loving us. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if we turn around, turn away this, this young hero who's appeared on the scene, we look like jerks. <laughs> and so, well, and the, the PR move is, is really well done throughout like the whole issue. And they do it in a way where it's like, okay, like they are making this look good, but also like, okay, I'm assuming haven't read the additional issues. I'm assuming it, it, it is revealed at some point that Baron Zemo hired the Rat Pack so they could fight them and hired the Wrecking Crew so they could fight them at the Statue of Liberty so they could be seen saving the symbol of America. And when they talk about, like, this is a symbol. <laughs> like, it's very open. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, I, I assume that was all staged, but it it also really works. And you can, like, see how it would be deceiving to people. And it's like, it would probably get to me. It's like, they just saved the statue of Liberty. Like the arm fell off and they put it back on <laughs> stronger than before. Um, they say something about, uh, so the rat pack say something about like, you know, um, you know, the person who hired us, you know, wanted us to be here and now it's time to go. And as a reader of superhero comics, you could assume that is like setting up some mystery organization, high or villain, you yeah. know, a future so, villain, a, a puppet master, in the background that is going to be the long-term storytelling. Once you get to the reveal at the end, you can like reconnect those dots and say, Oh, <laughs> this, Oh, he just staged the whole thing. The, the heroes did this. <laughs> our, our, our heroes in quotation marks did this. It's, uh, it's Senator Palpatine in, in the prequel series. Yeah. And I think it's one of those very successful versions of that twist where like you go rethink everything that's come before. We talked about this with, um, you know, an occurrence at Elk Creek bridge, you know, we're, we're like, you rethink everything and it, and it, it still all fits like the puzzle pieces work. And you thought the puzzle was showing you one picture up until the last page of Thunderbolts. Number one, one final thing I want to touch on is the speculation that exists for fans of the MCU about the potential for a Thunderbolts project, either on Disney plus or on the big screen. Do you have any thoughts on that right now, Andrew? Um, I think it is something that they've laid a lot of groundwork, kind of like Young Avengers. They've laid a lot of groundwork for Young Young Avengers. I'd say for far having, more for Young Avengers. <laughs> for, for having not announced it, um, there's definitely more in place for Young Avengers, but it seems like they could definitely go for Thunderbolts. The The biggest issue is that most of the villains don't really make it through, um, and, yeah, and especially Earth-based stopped, villains. They have stopped killing villains lately. Yeah, and I think that might be with the intention. It's like, okay, we should try to take advantage of them because you could – you could piece together a Thunderbolts team. You know, you might need a little bit more than they have. But if you were to say, I mean, like, and they very well could be like working this way. If you were to take John Walker, Captain America, I think Ghost is still around and and operational um, mm-hmm. from, from Ant Man, Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah, and if they you if have they Zemo. don't if they don't kill Taskmaster and you've got Zemo, it's like that's four people that you could put into Thunderbolts, mm-hmm. and you could introduce someone else fresh, or you could find somebody you know you can you can pull from somewhere i'm sure there's enough and and my question is would they even attempt to try and pull off like what's called thunderbolts for fans it's ruined but what percentage of their fans don't look at entertainment websites don't look at spoilers online like what percentage of people just enjoy the marvel movies and the disney plus shows and don't you know devour internet rumors and yeah. could, they, could they even try and pull this off or did they just have to say the cat went get, out of the bag 25 years ago? We can't I think all the fans would ruin it for everyone else by talking about it. Like, And I think <laughs> Andrew, I just think you summed up Internet <laughs> fan culture when you said all the fans ruin it for everyone else by talking about it. <laughs> like, I mean, that one would be like it would be anyone who is paying attention enough to be like, OK, new movie called The Thunderbolts. Like this would get more exposure and and ruination than the Eternals does. Yes, because because there is a twist to ruin, and it would immediately be out there. And so I think they'd have to do something else with it. And I don't know what they could possibly yeah. do. So I think it would it, it, most likely it would just be okay. Cats out of the bag. Um, and I think there's like there were would be some people for whom it would work. So maybe. Uh, on Star Wars Minute, like Pete the Retailer, uh, famously has said like he wants to go in 
to a Star Wars movie with the same experience that someone he took to see Force Awakens, that when they were in line walking in, he looked at the movie poster and said, Harrison Ford's in this? <laughs> like, that's, that's the level of unknown. The, the level of unknown he would like to go into a Star Wars movie with, and it will never happen because like, he's a professional Star Wars commentator. <laughs> like It's just yeah. not an option for him. But to be able to go into a Star Wars movie like that would be perfection for him. And someone who is that detached from like the media entertainment mm-hmm. side of the world, you could pull off a Thunderbolts twist. And like drop it on Disney Plus, and at the end of episode one, you find out these are all really the bad guys that you've seen in other movies. But it's such yeah. a small slice of the audience that I don't know that it'd be even worth like the promotion. But like mm-hmm. anyone who would enjoy it that way is not going to get the promotional material spoiling them anyway. <laughs> so go ahead yeah. and do the promotional material saying we're doing yeah. Thunderbolts. It's Baron Zemo. He's he's the lead. <laughs> um. Well, and you describing that actually reminded me of something I thought while reading this, which was, and I think like. We're kind of almost there is there with comic books. There was such a degree to which you could be a big fan and you'd still only be reading like you could be a big fan of Marvel comics, like never mind the, you know, the the other companies. And you'd still like as a big fan, I'm reading 30 percent of what they're putting out. And that mm-hmm. does not exist for the Marvel movies. If you are a big fan, then you're watching 80 percent. You know, and there's no one and like there's no one who's only watching 30 percent of those movies, probably where you can drop them or at least not calling themselves a fan. Like it's someone who's like casually has come across them and that's it. You know, it's in and out of their lives and, you know, they either enjoyed them or didn't, you know, to to whatever degree. But it's not something where they're going to go pursue the next one. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know if the person who's watching 30 percent of the Marvel movies would watch Thunderbolts would get that particular one, you know, but at the same time, the premise of selling to an audience like okay these are bad guys who are trying to be good you know that's a hook that works yeah you know yeah. that are trying to trick the world now, yes. that, that, yeah, that's a premise that, that you could, that, you could sell that, that premise but i just don't know that you could trick them into thinking you, you know uh, would it be worth at all the investment to try and pull it off like yeah. what you get in this first issue which and, was and, just such a perfect moment in terms of where marvel was at publishing wise the creative talent that they had on board the again like that where um the media world like where you would go get commentary about comic books it was basically wizard magazine yeah that was about <laughs> and, it and so if you had them on board to not spoil this you were fine whereas today there's like i could name a half dozen websites that would spoil this kind of comic book <laughs> you know mm-hmm. months before it could come out because they heard whispers at a bar at a comic con yeah of what marvel was planning to do and that and, just wasn't a thing in 97 yeah and so like it's such a different kind of thing to attempt that i i don't think they could attempt it i'd be really cool if they could and but like there are there are reveals that I know about that. Like, like my wife, Kestra is, is a, she is a, a Marvel fan. She has watched all the Marvel movies more than once. Um, and so she is like a solid fan and there's definitely things, especially in the shows. So they might be able to get away with it better in a show than in a movie in the shows. She doesn't pick up as much stuff. If it's not put into the advertisement, she's maybe not going to be aware that mm-hmm. this is coming because she's not consuming as much of the like upcoming news podcasts and media that I consume. And so, and she doesn't know the core text. And so there's enough of a gap where for like Falcon and winter soldier, I knew at the end of that first episode, I'm like, they are about to reveal John Walker. This is going to suck. U.S. agent is the worst. <laughs> she is going to be super, super angry. Like I knew I was like, and I'm like glancing over. I'm like, she doesn't know that this is about to happen. And I like, I know for a fact that this is about to happen, (laughs) not Mm -hmm. because someone told me, but because I know enough of the other stuff. And so there's definitely people who could be consuming it with, with that level of like, okay, if they really just don't talk about it that much and like make it clear in the trailers that there's this twist reveal. Yeah. Then you could get people who are, who are at that level and, and probably would be like, wait, what? And, and, I, 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 and so I think, I think you, you could, could do it. it with Disney Plus. But mm-hmm. again, there's a huge segment of the fandom that as soon as the, t- you know, this show is called Thunderbolts, like all they're doing is spoiling it. Yes. But but in the same way, it's like, like, I was sure, like, I knew US Agent was in Falcon and Winter Soldier and she didn't. And we live in the same house. We watched the yeah. same trailers. And so, like, there there's a sweet spot and where you could get a chunk of people and have it have it really hit them because, in, you know, she doesn't know that she didn't know mm-hmm. that that Isaiah Bradley was going to be in it. I was like, there's going to be black Captain America talk. There's going to be, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
you know, the Isaiah Bradley story and stuff. And like, that's just because I know the the comics. And it's like for her, like you could maybe get away with it. I was about to say the same with my wife. Like she's seen because she's married to me more so than like, this is what she's really invested in all the Marvel stuff. And if there was a new show called Thunderbolts and I didn't tell her, this is the team of villains pretending to be good guys. She would mm-hmm. have no idea, <laughs> but, but she's watched pretty much everything. Yeah. Yeah, and but it may even be like they do the reveal of Baron Zemo at the end, and she say, like, "Which one is that? Have yeah, I seen him before?" Because that's a <laughs> well, and that's something that like this comic book did well is like they set up Baron Zemo and the Masters of Evil at the beginning during the the news broadcast, so they mm-hmm. like did enough of the breadcrumbs where it's like, oh, and like um, when I was saying like you could read thirty percent and still be a fan, yeah, um, and it's like I have not read a lot of stuff with beetle and screaming Mimi in it. <laughs> you know, like when I'm looking back I mean, on that this, was I'm like a, the that, way I know these characters is D-list at best as a character. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and a songboard though, she's become a major part of the Marvel universe. Like she hasn't been adapted in the films or anything, but as far as the comics go, she really elevated uh, up to a different tier because of Thunderbolts. Yeah. Like she got into core Avengers, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like they, the, the movies and TV shows just don't have the like depth of universe where like there's nothing going on in that universe that we're not seeing in the movies. Right. And in the comic books it's like, Oh, there's a ton of stuff going on that I'm not going to see. Like, I'm just not going to, because I'm not reading that comic book, but it's going on in those. And so they can say, it's like, Hey, these villains, even if I haven't read about them, cause they're D listers, have uh, had adventures yeah and i, I, and I, I believe i it. know they had a marvel trading card that i've seen yeah <laughs> you know that, that and, kind of thing is what it and there's been. nothing like that in the movies because it's like if it's if it's not on the screen then it might as well not have happened all right well i just want to give one more shout out to this fantastic issue from it's, what it's feels like issue. to me should be five years ago <laughs> but is in fact you know 25 Tw- 25 years ago <laughs> just about <laughs> just about 25 years ago uh yeah uh and it was a great issue and it is a great premise and they just executed it so perfectly uh and uh it's an amazing like little time capsule moment in in pop culture history or comic book history that they did it <laughs> you know that, that they they uh they they got everyone to actually work together to pull this off uh for, for their readers and it, it's um i remember reading somewhere that like uh like shops hadn't you know, they had ordered like the low level of like most new books, you know, mm-hmm. we're not expecting this to be a bestseller uh, at all. And then once like comic fans start talking about, Oh no, this is, this is something more. Uh, they immediately sold out of, of it. And it, it like, it, it went to multiple reprintings, which was not as common then. Um, mm-hmm. Not in 97, not in 97 in, in 93. Yes. <laughs> but in 97, no, yeah. because again, there was a massive uh, uh, j- just business side of things. There'd been a massive burst in terms of uh, what was called the speculator bubble. You know, Jim Lee X-Men number one. Yeah. You go ahead and print all those copies. Thunderbolts mm-hmm. number one. <laughs> yeah. You, you print the minimum. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it, uh, you know, it caught on then and it's, it's a premise that has worked well enough that Marvel keeps, keeps going back to, to the idea of it. And a lot of these characters have like, like we said with songbird, you know, uh, you know, th- this changes the trajectory of a, a lot of these characters within the Marvel mm-hmm. universe. Yeah. Like I've, I've read a lot of Moonstone stuff. I've seen songbird in a lot of stuff. Oh, Atlas, I want to say with in, meteorite, other th- in other Thunderbolts meteorite slash Moonstone. It is such a great writer tool to have that character who is an analyst. Like, like, she's, Oh yeah. She's, she's like she's a, a doctor of psychology, yeah. right. You know, and, and, uh, it's something that like one of the most famous issues of X factor has uh, Peter David have every member of the team sit down with a psychologist and they just break down what is making these characters tick. And it's, you can tell that like the writer has done this work and now I'm just going to make it very explicit <laughs> as to like what is motivating every single one of these characters uh, that they're not telling their teammates, but this psychologist has like cut through their, their performative selves to see who they really are at their core. And that's what meteorite does as she like walks around and sees these, the, the interactions in this and, and subsequent issues. Um, it, it must be a glorious tool to have as a writer to, to be able to like make the, the subtext text in a way that feels natural. Mm-hmm. Also, I, I love dumb costumes and these are some dumb costumes. Oh like, my God. Yeah, gloriously dumb. <laughs> Atlas's face, not a mask, like it's his like face the, accoutrement. Yeah. <laughs> He's got and, some stuff and on the side of his, on his chest and his back. Mm-hmm. He's got a big giant A for Atlas in case you didn't know who the 20 foot tall guy was. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and Citizen V in, in like the PR move, like he's wearing his cape is a, is a flag, an American yeah, flag. Yeah, he's got like, like stars and stripes on his shoulders. Super patriotic. I, I am the new guy. Also, Captain his America. sword has 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 a hook on like it. Like a tip? fish hook end on it. Kind of. 
Yeah. Not not like not a fish hook like a curve, like the barb at the end of a yes, fish hook. Yes, that that would be the right word, I think. Yeah. Um, Why? I don't know. It was the 90s, but it, it's not as grim yeah. and gritty as like, you know, X-Force 90s stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, no. Um, or, or, but yeah, or Venom like, or anything. But yeah, you know, there, I, there's I some just, of that flavor there. I I really like superheroes wearing the costumes. I know it's it's like it's dumb stuff, but it's like that's the genre. Like costumes and secret identities is part of the deal. And that's like I'm I'm super ready to suspend that disbelief. And I think yeah. it's because of, of of being a kid in the 90s for me. I go to a like, musical. This I is it. And the burst into song. That's fine. Yeah. I'm in a I'm musical. Like, I'm watching a musical that you know, that's what they do. Uh, you know, I'm going to go see a Shakespeare play. They're going to speak old timey stuff and they're going to talk to the audience directly every now and then. That's mm-hmm. what they do. And, and, so and I accept that as a premise. For superheroes, they're going to wear costumes. There's going to be colors in those costumes and they're going to have secret identities. And I'm I'm OK with that. And I know it hasn't translated tremendously to film um, every now more, and then they nail and, it more but. and more lately they're at least attempting it and and this would be a separate conversation to talk about like the the x-men movies where they're like we really can't do that and it's like i understand that you can't do it but it really upsets me that you can't do it but then first class says we're doing it yeah and it's like <laughs> and, and they did it and it's like great and then they went back. That's a whole, that's a separate conversation. <laughs> yes. And one that you can find on uh, the Dueling Genres franchiseography. They're running through yeah, the X-Men Yeah, they're dealing movies. with the X-Men movies, and it makes me think about it a lot. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, listeners. I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod or at Jay Dorowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at Diz Minute. And our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Okay. I don't remember what we were talking about before it all died, so I'll just try to do a generic transition. I think it...